Hi, welcome to another episode of Theology Applied. I'm your host, Pastor Joel Webin with Right Response Ministries. In this episode, I was privileged to have as a special guest, Dr. James White. We talked about the current state of evangelicalism, the coming divide that we're now experiencing, what the church will be like over the future of the next five years, as well as when we can no longer call someone a brother in Christ. Thanks for tuning in. Applying God's Word to every aspect of life. This is Theology Applied. All right, well, welcome to another episode of Theology Applied. I'm privileged to have as a special guest today, Dr. James White. Uh, Dr. James White, thank you so much for coming on the show. Would you just take a moment and introduce yourself and your ministry to our listeners? Uh, Sure. My least favorite topic, but uh, (laughs) I'm uh, the director of Alpha and Omega Ministries. I'm one of uh, four pastors at Apologia Church, uh, along with Jeff Durbin and Luke and Zach. Um, Alpha Omega has been around since 1983. Um, most of the time these days I'm being interviewed by people who have not been around since 1983. Um, and uh, so we've been around for, for quite a while. We're, we're sort of the old kids on the block now. Um, used to do a lot of debates, not doing nearly as many these days. Um, I don't know. My my, I, I just right now, honestly, I have a um, notification on my desktop as we're speaking canada bans unvaccinated tourists so i've i have debated in the past in canada i won't be in the future uh so that we were really chugging along i was i was going you know i'm going to get to 200 debates here real quick in 2019 i flew 165,000 miles i taught in johannesburg samara russia melbourne australia um, all over the world. And then 2020 happened. And um, right. now we've just gotten me a, a fifth wheel RV and I'm going to be driving around the South in the United States, uh, meeting at small churches with folks basically. And uh, that's how the world changes very, very quickly. But done um, a lot of debates uh, over the years and um, the Dividing Line webcasts we were sort of pioneers with that, to be honest with you. Uh, we were so poor, we decided to stop doing radio and use this internet thing. This is before MP3. Um, and um, so we've been at it for a long, long time. And um, so there you go. I, I just uh, a couple of days ago was made one of the fellows of the Ezra Institute with uh, Joe Boot. I'm not oh, sure cool. if you know Joe, mm-hmm, but uh, yeah. uh, I just uh, this morning was listening to uh his new book which nobody else has listened to yet and it is fantastic in fact i was is thinking it about the, the mission of god is oh, that what no, it is or? i believe me i read the mission of god years ago now this is a new one that uh, you haven't seen yet but um okay. it is uh, absolutely fantastic and uh, so i'm really looking forward to seeing that but uh so we continue to get into all sorts of godly trouble uh, as uh, my brother jeff likes to put it and uh, so here we are. Great. Well, I've been a longtime listener with uh, Alpha and Omega, not since the beginning, considering that I was not quite born yet. I was born in 1986. So, uh, as, but I've been blessed by my, your ministry. Uh, as was my firstborn child. <laughs> there you go. Yep. So, but I've been blessed by your ministry and your debates. Uh, could you tell our listeners what? You, so I, I've heard you on Calvinism. I've, I've heard you on um, Christianity and, and debating uh, Muslims. What are, what are some of the topics that you typically debate? Well, uh, Islam became the the predominant debate topic, uh, interestingly enough, started in 2006. Before that was Roman Catholicism, Um, Mormonism. There were a couple Jehovah's Witness debates, but getting those were never official because you can never get the Watchtower Society to officially debate. But a lot of Trinitarian issues, uh, Oneness Pentecostals. I debated Oneness Pentecostal in Brisbane, Australia. That was the backstory on that, on that debate is actually even more interesting than the debate itself, which was quite interesting as well. I, I've not been a big um, atheist debater. I've certainly done some debates with Dan Barker and a few other people, uh, Silverman. I was supposed to debate uh, Christopher Hitchens. And mm-hmm. I don't know, a uh, couple weeks after he signed the contract when he got his diagnosis. And of course, he didn't live long after that. So that's yeah. Silverman ended up taking his place and David Silverman's nowhere near Christopher Hitchens. Um, but, uh, you know, I have done that, but it's, I think it's best to be passionate 
about the group that you're seeking to debate and to witness to. And that's not where my passion is. Uh, I'll defend um, the inerrancy of scripture and the transmission of the text of scripture uh, against all comers. Uh, but I, I just get a whole lot more personally out of debates where I have a passion for reaching the people that I'm debating. And so, you know, just a couple of weeks ago at Apologia, uh, I've preached the last four weeks. It's really unusual. Jeff, Jeff finally got the, uh, the, the Rona. Um, and uh, so uh, I had a fellow come up to me before service and um, Middle Eastern looking fellow. And uh, he said, you know, three or four years ago, I started watching your debates with Muslim apologists as a Muslim. And he said that, well, he said Muslim scholars, and he said that they were, they were what uh, brought me to, to faith in Christ. And uh, so it's that, that kind of thing that um, really, I think, makes those debates more worthwhile. I think they have a better use, usefulness long-term, which is what I want them to have. So, um, yeah. Well, it's powerful. I mean, the, just the debating format, because, you know, I, I'm a local pastor, and so I've been preaching for a while, and um, preaching is is its own uh, difficulty, its own challenge. But uh, no, no, you, 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 know, just, I, you just you just but, buy, you but just buy your you just buy your sermons, don't you? No, <laughs> the Ed Litton thing. No, sorry. Um, did I don't think Ed Litton paid for them though. <laughs> uh, so buying would be a step in the right direction. That it? would be helpful. So, yeah, at least get, yeah, give somebody so. give some poor seminary students some money to buy yeah, some books. At least you pay for it. So uh no, but so but preaching is its own difficulty. But um, you know, it's just like, you know, Proverbs eighteen. One is, you know, the first to state his case is thought, you know, right until another cross examines. And, you know, I this is my first time talking with you, but I, you know, I watched your debate with Leighton Flowers on Romans nine, and then I threw my hat in the ring. Um, mutual acquaintance of of him and myself, Remnant Radio. I think you've been on Remnant Radio before, and yeah. uh, Michael Roundtree is one of the co-hosts, and uh, and he's a friend of mine. And so, uh, so, anyways, Michael was like, "Dude, you should debate Leighton," and I was like, "I don't think I'm, you know, qualified." But anyway, so I just, I went for it, and. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's a lot easier to preach a sermon on Calvinism than it is to debate. Uh, debating is it's hard to be cross-examined, and so I can see. My point is, I can see how people would come to faith because, um, man, when you can when you can defend something, not just give an hour homily, but when you can argue something, be cross-examined, and uh, and hold. Uh, it's powerful. Now that being said, that this wasn't the purpose of getting you on the show, but the <laughs> hardest the hardest thing I had with Leighton was. Um, and, and I'm sure I, I should have had a better answer, but Colossians 2, verse 12. I'm curious your take on this. So, so this is on the, in the cross-examination. This is where I, I looked the most well, foolish. Wait a what, uh, what, was, what, was the, what was the topic? So the topic was total depravity, and he does, you know, so total inability, yeah. and he says, yeah, you're totally depraved, you're totally sinful, but you're not totally unable, and so that was his whole thing. Whereas, like, election, you could argue, I, this is me, but I, I feel like, I didn't really know what I was getting into. I, I should have debated him on limited atonement or election. Total depravity was was harder. Um, but anyways, so he he went to, you know, it's not total inability. And he used Colossians 2, verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith. And so he was like, so you see, Joel, raised through faith, not raised to faith, right? Regeneration preceding faith, but raised through faith. Your faith is what raised you. Now, I, the text, the context, it seems, you know, it's, it's referring to baptism. Again, Colossians 2, verse 12 is where he hung his hat, and, uh, and I struggled. I'll, I'll admit I struggled. And so I'm curious, well, what, what, how would you respond? Well, um, you, you, you'd have to go back to an argument that we have with, uh, that I have with my, uh, on the subject of baptism here, because if you look at Colossians 2, 11, in him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands and the removal mm. of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Well, what is that? Um, Richard Brasellus argues uh, in his exegesis of 2, 11 through 12, um, that while some people argue that uh, what you have here is the connection of circumcision and baptism, this is actually regeneration. So if this, uh, the circumcision, uh, circumcised the circumcision made without hands is in fact 
removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, if that's regeneration, then that is the work of God. And mm -hmm. it's not his it's not his intention at this point to be discussing the relationship uh, or the even the issue of the ability of a person dead in sin. But even still, uh, you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Um, if he's trying to make this a, a ordo salutis type thing where that's what he was doing, where faith is now um, prior to regeneration, mm -hmm. if circumcision, if this, if the circumcision done without hands is regeneration, then that that's not the case. That is, mm -hmm. that is coming first, but I don't even know how he would make that work because did he say how he understood this baptism? Is he saying that you believe after baptism? Yeah, his, well, he was just using it to counter uh, John chapter three. You can't, you know, I was making the argument, you can't even see the kingdom uh, unless you've been born again. And then he was basically using Colossians two twelve, and he, he completely stripped it from the context of baptism. He was just saying, look, you're raised through faith. So faith is what raise, raises you. So regeneration, he was, you know, likening regeneration to the word raise and then saying, you know, you're raised through your faith, which means faith precedes re regeneration, which means before you become a new creation, you cannot be completely unable. Uh, so to total depravity, he was like, I affirm total depravity because that's what Leighton does. He, he affirms words, but then hijacks their meaning. So I well, affirm course, total yeah. depravity, but it, it can't mean total inability. That's unbiblical. That, that, was, that was his argument as I remember it. Well, I would I'd be interested in hearing what his argument was because I'm not following it because in which also you were raised up through faith in the working and, and it's 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 diates pista os taste in ergaios to theu. So through faith in the in the working of God, the one who raised him from the dead, um I, I'd wanna I'd wanna know what Leighton doesn't give you complete exegesis of text. When you press him on a text, he'll say, well, it might, something here might mean that, and that might mean that, and that might mean that, but he doesn't ever want to commit himself to what something most certainly does mean. And so I'd want to know how he thinks 12 and 11 relate, because it sounds like from his perspective, what he's saying is this faith is coming after baptism, which does not make any sense whatsoever. Um, the point is that the object of saving faith is the God who raised Christ from the dead, which anyone would, would believe. But if he's trying to put some type of temporal order on things so that you have this ability before regeneration, then what is verse 11 talking about? What's the, what's the circumcision not done with hands? I don't, and I don't, I don't know that he'd have an answer for that, but. Um, yep. Yeah. Well, that would have been a better answer than I gave. So, <laughs> I, well, let me tell you something. That's uh, well, well, let me it was my first debate. Uh, so. Well, no, no. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting the way you put it is, is being cross-examined. Mm -hmm. um, in my experience, I've done 175 of these debates now starting in 1990. Uh, so we just celebrated the you know 30 year anniversary of all this stuff last year. And uh, it took about six or seven debates before I realized what the heart of a debate is. The heart of a debate is cross-examination, and it's not so much being cross-examined, but the ability to cross-examine, uh, right. to, to ask the right questions that focus the attention upon the real issue. Anybody can make what sounds like a good presentation. Uh, it's when someone tests, that's, that's the Proverbs 18. It's when someone comes and asks you and tests you. That's where the issue really is normally decided in my experience. And um, I think if I'm good at anything, it's at doing cross-ex. I'm very comfortable being asked. That, that to me is, if I'm comfortable with my position, uh, that, that, that's, that's the easy part of the debate for me. But it's demonstrating that the other person's position is incoherent and inconsistent. That's when it takes place is during the cross X. And only one attorney that I have debated, I've debated a lot of attorneys, 
only one of them was able to do any cross-examination at all. So I don't think cross-ex is part of the normal training in most law schools yeah. because um, I, I almost, I, when I found out I'm going to be debating an attorney, it's like, oh, this is going to be easy. Um, but there was only one exception to that, one guy that, that could really do that. So that's where, that's where the rubber meets the road. Yep. I completely agree. I, so anyways, all that being said, I think that's where a lot of people know you from is from your debates. And I know oh, you yeah. from, from that. And it's just, it's a blessing to be able to, you know, it's one thing to hear somebody preach on total depravity for an hour, but it's another for somebody to be able to, you know, to hold their position. And also, like you said, go on the offense and poke holes in the alternative position to show that it's, that it doesn't hold water. So anyways, I've been blessed by that. So, um, that being said, you know, shifting gears here a little bit. Um, I just finished recently reading, uh, Vody Bauckham's new book, Fault Lines. And I've listened to you. I've listened to Jeff Durbin. I've listened to, uh, Doug Wilson and followed, um, all of your ministries on this subject. And it's just been a difficult couple of years. Um, I mean, COVID was just kind of the cherry on top, but all of it really, COVID, critical race theory, it's like these things have nothing to do with one another, and yet they absolutely do. Um, all of it is kind of revealing just these shifting plates, uh, these shifting foundations of what we actually believe about the law of God, what we believe about biblical justice, um, all these different things. And so I guess uh, one of the things that I wanted to discuss with you is um, what what is your prediction over the next few years, the next maybe three years, five years uh, not just in evangelicalism as a whole, but in the Reformed camp. I think that's what I've been so burdened by. It seems like Reformed churches have no immunity towards this um, division that's been taking place. What, what do you think is going to happen? A lot of that depends on how quickly the global elites want to press the advantage that they have obtained during the COVID, the, the massive uh, leftward swing across the globe. It doesn't matter what nation you're in. Um, there has been this huge power grab and, and a movement toward a, uh, a form of totalitarianism that may determine what we are talking about by just simply making it next to impossible for us to even function as Christians in society. Um, we may end up having a lot of these conversations from a gulag someplace. And that sounds like scare tactics, but if you've been watching anything going on in Canada, Australia, or any place else, if you're listening to what's being said, then you well know that this isn't scaremongering. This is just being realistic and saying, yeah, this type of thing is, is a, a very strong possibility. So if there is not a, a, a major shift, if there's not another, if there's not a new variant um, that uh, is immune to vaccines, or if uh, you don't have, I mean, the, the people that were predicting the pandemic are now saying the next huge thing is going to be a um, information collapse, the internet, um, a cyber attack that will, will bring down the entire web and crash us back to the 1970s, uh, which I can remember, by the way. Um, but uh, um, yes, it would have huge, huge impact. Um, and most of us wouldn't even know how to get hold of anybody anymore, uh, without our electronic devices and things like that. Something like that happens that, you know, brings down the global economy and everything else. We're not going to be arguing about almost anything, uh, other than just engaging in survival at that, at that particular point. And that would be local churches, um, banding together and taking care of each other and, and, uh, sacrificing a lot and, um, living in, in fellowship and might be the best thing that's ever happened to us, <laughs> to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's easy to say that, uh, but, um, we all, we all know that the difficulties that would come with that. So if we still have the freedom to be arguing globally, um, then we can ask those questions. Uh, where, is, where is this divide going to take us? And I think the divide's already taken place. Um, the, the question is really going to be who's going to remain consistent, who's going to be able to um, communicate to their churches and their followers 
why we've taken the stand that we've we've taken and why uh, we need to press forward in saying, for example, that if you if you continue to tell people that unity of the of the body is based upon extra biblical parameters, if you try to push equity rather than um, God's sovereign differentiation of peoples, um, if you if you ignore the biblical reality that unity is created um, in Christ because everyone has the same need and God has one provision for that need. Um, all of, all of that, we have to communicate to our people why that is so vitally important. And I think as a result, divisions will take place um, because those that will not stand firm will be sucked into more and more aberrant expressions. This has happened historically. I mean, you look at any of the denominations that have started down that road, it may have started slowly, but over time, you know, you wonder how you have transgendered liberal Lutherans that didn't that didn't happen overnight that that started literally over 100 years ago and but eventually it you get sucked into more and more aberrant forms of expression and so i i think given the situation we're in today that will happen more and more quickly for those who really have made a commitment to go those aberrant directions and to reject the bible's way of unity in the body and so the divisions will will take place. I don't think we will necessarily have to exacerbate the situation or even throw firebombs the other direction. Uh, in fact, anybody who actually knows me, and very few people actually do, outside of uh, the people involved in the ministry and in churches, in, you know, in in at Apologia, um, I have a couple really good. Pastor friends, Derek Melton, Tom Buck, uh, people like that, that that I'm in contact with. One of my best buds is John Cooper. Um, uh, as far as people that I'm in constant communication with and chatting with and stuff like that. But there's still, that's a fairly small number of people. Those who do know me um, know that when someone, for example, asks me about dividing, leaving a church. Um, I am always the first one to counsel um, care, uh, concern, bathe this in grace and love. I've said to many a person, if you have to leave a church, try to leave in such a way that if in five years from now, you happen to encounter someone from that church or even the leadership of that church, that you'll be able to smile and shake their hands. Of course, this was before COVID, but uh, smile and shake their hands and uh, ask how they're doing. And, and there, there wouldn't be animosity on your part in, in any way, shape or form. Part of this is because pastorally, um, I have had people come to churches that I was involved with who left churches. And I've discovered that if, that if you come to a new church and you're spending almost any of your time bad mouthing your old church, that's really dangerous. You're all you're going to do is bring the same problems into the new church. And so if you have to leave, if, if a division has to take place, make sure that you have tried to build every bridge, tried to make sure clearest communication that you, that you, bathe everything in prayer and grace and love so that when you do leave, you can leave with a clear conscience and not drag any of that stuff with you. But at the same time, just this morning, I received pastoral communication about um, a network of churches and how we are getting more and more people uh, coming to us out of these churches because these churches, while ostensibly reformed, are now pretty much full on woke and they're, they're pushing the woke agenda. And so what do you do when you're having entire families coming to you saying, 
we were perfectly happy where we were until we started noticing this, this drift and tried to be patient with it and hoped maybe it was temporary. And it's now become the, the all consuming defining aspect of things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, once it, once it starts defining the faith and becoming something that's very divisive, um, yeah, at that point, you, you have to start considering the health of your family and yourself. Um, and um, I've always said, it's best not to leave until you have a place to go. That's not always an option. Uh, you know, someone can just blow a fuse and become a cult leader overnight, I suppose. But in general, it's, it's far better to uh, have a landing spot than it is to uh, just simply sever ties. And then now what do we do? Uh, type of situation. Right. Yeah. right. And sometimes it seems like, you know, part of it is you can go, but then part of it also is if you stay, um, you'll eventually be removed. And, uh, you know, and, and, and it's like, not in every case. I mean, obviously it depends on the person's attitude and how much they're talking and how, you know, those kinds of things. But like, I, I know for myself, you know, like we, when I was, I was in California, we moved to Texas at the end of last year and just, we're, officially done with California. And when people ask, why'd you move out of California? You know, the short answer is I have children and I love them. So, yeah, um, yeah. But, you know, but apart from that, you know, we, so we moved here and by God's grace, uh, we're an, embarking on a new church planting endeavor. And, um, but when I was in California, um, for a few years, I was a part of Acts 29 and, um, ended up leaving the network about three years ago. And part of what was bringing to a head, it, it got to the point where it's, you know, it's like, you know, you can stay and get fired or you can quit, you know, and, and sometimes you, you know, try to beat them to the punch. You can't fire me. I quit, you know, or whatever. And so, but anyway, so I, you know, I was a part of X 29 and I, you know, was kind of outspoken about particularly about Eric Mason and my, um, my strong disagreement with his, he had just come out with his book, book church and things like that. And, um, and, you know, and obviously that there just wasn't a place for that, which is funny because the, the lingo that's always used is let's have a conversation about race, um, which I've never seen any of these conversations take place. I've never seen a conversation. I've seen a bunch of people who all have the same view have a conversation and anybody who has a dissenting opinion um, is anathematized. And so anyway, so eventually, you know, we left. Um, I, I pulled the church out and, and, you know, reneged my membership and, and so I guess I'm, I'm wondering, like, obviously not just for the pastor, but for the Christian who's a member in a local church, um, what, what, what is too far? Like at what point, you know, like, cause we want to be gracious. We want to be patient. Um, and, and that really gets kind of to, to the main topic is at what point, like how many of these guys are brothers who are confused? And at what point is somebody an apostate? Uh, because I think this issue, and, I, and I'm getting this from guys like you, so I don't, I don't think it's just my, you know, overly passionate opinion, but I'm getting this from you. I'm getting this from founders, ministries, sovereign nations, you know, that it's another gospel. So it's not just, you know, a hobby horse, but it, that it actually, cr- critical race theory and, and cultural Marxism. And this is, it's not just an analytical tool that can be separated, but it's a worldview that stands in direct contrast and opposition to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So how long should a pastor in a network or a member in a local church tolerate the leaders in that context being fascinated and obsessed with another gospel. Yeah, it's um, this particular manifestation of division is is hard because um, in the final analysis, uh, obviously it is God who makes the decision as to who an apostate is. And I'm more than happy to allow him to do that I like to focus upon uh, teachings and doctrines, recognizing that I know a lot of people who hold to certain doctrinal beliefs inconsistently and incoherently. Right. Um, Being pressed to be consistent in your theology and your doctrine is unusual today. And so We've known for a long, long time that, for example, um, Arminians um, tend to pray like Calvinists and sing like Calvinists, um, mm-hmm. even though they say they don't believe those things. And, and yet there's this blessed inconsistency in that in that area. Right. Right. And so right. 
I, I pray for blessed inconsistencies. Um, I'm not sure if you saw the sweater vest dialogue I did with uh, I did. Doug on GK Chesterton. Um, yeah, I saw uh, that. Yeah, where, you know, obviously he's bending more that direction. I'm bending more this direction. But, um, you know, I tend to, to look at Roman Catholicism and, and go, there's, there's just so much there that is so far removed from anything that, that is even close to the apostolic message that um, it's really hard for me to uh, read Chesterton, even though Chesterton obviously had tremendous in- insights without going, yeah, but what about the gospel? And Doug's perspective was, look, I'm, I, I sense something in him. I sense a work of the spirit of God in him. If he was trusting, if he truly was trusting in that system, as it is stated, then he was trusting in a broken reed and there's, there's no salvation there. Mm -hmm. Um, He says, but I just can't see how he could say the things that he said and be consistent with believing that. Well, he's dead. So uh, we get to, the person who determines that in the final analysis is neither Doug nor myself. So, and he will, the judge of all the earth will do right. So in that sense, um, I look at our situation where, you know, I, I spoke at, I spoke at conferences with Thabiti um, and on subject of, of Islam in Canada of all places once. And so I, I look at a situation like that. I hear him saying the things he's, he's saying. I'm seeing fundamental change in where he is and where he's going. And that greatly concerns me, obviously. Um, but I don't feel the need necessarily to make. <laughs> I am at home. So uh, one of That's my okay. uh, two felines has decided that he would like to contribute to the conversation. I thought that was a cat. I was like, I don't think that's um, a person. And and unfortunately (laughs) he is a very loud mouthed cat. Uh, And Mm -hmm. so I'm hoping that possibly my wife will hear from the other room and uh, (laughs) entice him with, uh, with something uh, to keep him uh, quiet. But anyways, that's what happens when it's evening time and and you're at home. But um, I, I look at these, I look at, at these men, my, my hope, my hope is because I've seen this in other situations. I've seen other, other movements. I've seen things happen over 30 years of ministry now where I've seen people go off into weird areas and then come back. And it may have taken 10 years, may have taken 20 years, but I've seen them come back and I've seen, I've had people apologize and, and repent and, and, and things like that. So I want to leave those, those doors open. Um, so what I try to do is I, you know, I have been very clear in saying, you know, look at what the BD is saying. Let's deal with the, the theology and the doctrine and try not to focus upon the individual. Um, but to, and people don't let you get away with that. People say, well, but that's what he's teaching. Yeah, that's what he's teaching. And what I'm saying is that teaching is wrong. And I'm now old enough to go that I'm now, I'm now old enough to, to say, and I don't expect resolution to this over the next uh, three weeks. Uh, right. It might take years. And so, um, and, if, and if I can be used of the Lord to be a positive influence for people in that situation, great. I don't want to necessarily slam that door, but at the same time, I'm not going to compromise on the topic. I'm going to be very straightforward on the topic and they're going to interpret that as hate and nastiness. And and I get that all the time. There's nothing, there's nothing you can do about that. Um, But I really, um, as I have, as I have hopefully matured and aged, um, I try to take a longer view and, uh, and when it comes to issues like this, focus upon what's actually being taught specifically. So for example, you mentioned Acts 29. The last time I had any contact with an Acts 29 church, I think was when I was in New Zealand about three or four years ago. I had a great time with the folks that were down there. 
do I have any idea where they are on all this stuff now? I don't. Um, might we be debating the issue now? Well, sadly, we might. Um, but I have seen one of the guys uh, that was down there with me um, in, in Wellington on that trip, I know is much more toward the woke side of things, though I don't think all the way than I am. And so there you have a situation where these were not the issues that were being discussed. And now we wouldn't be on the same page. And so that now means probably wouldn't be speaking at the same conferences and things like that if there were many conferences going on. Um, and so does that sadden me? Yes. Does that concern me that I might see this person head way off into error someplace? Yeah. Do I think there's anything I can necessarily do about that? Probably not. Um, should I be available to them? Were they to ask? Sure. Um, but I, I don't see the need to, uh, and some people will obviously disagree, but I don't see the need to go, all right, this person, uh, I'm, I'm going to put them on the, the naughty list. They were once on the right. nice list. Yeah, now, there yeah, are some people yeah. who, you know, I mean, Eric Mason uh, has anathematized me. He's the one who called for, good grief, he the called council. for an ecumenical council yeah, I to that. have me condemned as a heretic. I um, when I said that the Lord's Supper is a Christ space, not a space for black, white, or anything else, um, that's astonishing that someone would do that. I mean, especially from the, I've taught church history for years, <laughs> ecumenical council. Okay. All right. In Philadelphia of all places. That, I remember the first Philadelphia ecumenical council. Um, but uh, uh, I, I find it astonishing, but I also can't take it overly seriously. And even then I'm sort of like, okay, here's a guy. He's obviously been taken up by this whole movement um, could he come out tomorrow and say, you know what, folks, the Lord's been dealing with me and I've missed it. I, I have become consumed with, with stuff that the Bible never says I'm to be consumed with. I would love to see that happen. Wouldn't you? I, I, I think yeah. it, that would be wonderful. It'd be awesome. Um, so I just go, look, what Eric Mason is saying is wrong here. It's here's why it's wrong. Therefore, I can't recommend his ministry right now. I can't recommend his church. Um, but I'm not God. I'm, I'm not going to say, okay, and that means he's, he's a heretic. Because right. when you say it's, when, when, when we talk about another gospel, if what we are saying by that is that the critical theories are based fundamentally upon an anti-Christian worldview, and that therefore... There is no place within critical theory for actual redemption. There is no reconciliation. Um, there is no unity in the body due to the same imputed righteousness of Christ and the possession of the same spirit. Those are all vitally important things. But would Eric Mason say that we don't have the same spirit? Would Eric Mason say that, uh, would he deny the imputed righteousness of Christ? Now, right. The problem that we face right now is we have to go and say, yeah, but what you're preaching functionally does this. Right. But if they're still saying, no way, I, I believe that, then the best that we can do is say, you're being inconsistent. The trajectory historically of where you are will lead to eventually a fundamental rejection of these vital things but then you have to, that for me that's where i have to stop there are a lot of other folks who will say and that means you are out of the kingdom and i've just punched your exit card i just can't do that um and i don't see the need to do that and i think it so ends the conversation that the issue of what real true Christian unity is about and what the foundation of it is gets short circuited by all the anathemas that are getting flown or thrown around in, in the process. And right. so no, I'm, I'm a little concerned about that. I, you know, I, I can see why a couple of my brothers, well, you're just not being strong enough about this. Well, all right, but 
I've been around the block a few times. It's not the first big controversy I've seen. And I've seen the Lord bring people back. Um, mm-hmm. I'd like to be used in, in making that possible without mm-hmm. compromising. So I focus on the teaching and I'll be honest that someone is teaching something that is false. Um, but at the same time I go, and yet this person has taught truth in the past. They continue to say they believe those things. There's an inconsistency here. This could be, this could be the sign of a wolf mm-hmm. or it could be the sign of someone who has been um, taken in by the current movement, by the, by people in their, in their fellowship that are pushing them in these directions. There's, there could be lots of reasons that I don't know about. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I stay focused on what I can know rather than what I can't know and um, go from there. So I, I know I could name names of people right now that honestly believe that you either have to have someone on the wolf list or the good shepherd list. There is no in-between. That... There, from God's perspective, that's true. But I don't have that kind of knowledge because I can't look into hearts. I can't look into why someone is doing what they're doing. And so um, I try to stick with what I can actually address and then stand before God and answer for, for what I said. Amen. That, that's really helpful, uh, Dr. White. I appreciate it. And if I can summarize you, you're basically saying you look at the message rather than the man, um, because messages we can condemn, um, because messages we are visible, right? At the end of the day, the church can only discipline. It can only cast judgment for what's outward, external, witnessable. Uh, man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. We can see the heart, as it were, in a sense, by you know, because out of the mouth, the, the, the abundance of the heart comes out of the mouth. So we can look at the, the fruit of a person, their actions, their words, and get an inkling of the heart. Um, but the heart is also complex and who can draw it out, you know? And, and so it's, um, so yeah, all that being said, we and look I, at, And I would just add to it if I could, that, that yeah, know, go ahead. there can be, there can be seasons where um, you stumble. There can be seasons where right. you, you, get bad information and you make bad judgments and recover from that. Um, right. As, as I'm getting pretty close to my seventh decade, um, I've seen that happen so many times that I recognize that, and we live in the internet age. You, 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 you have to make decisions and say things almost instantly. I mean, if, you know, right now on social media, if you don't condemn X, Y, or Z, the, the day it happens, then see, he said nothing about this. And so right. the, the idea of mature reflection and meditation and things like that. So I can see how people could be pushed quickly into saying something and then pushed a little bit farther, a little bit farther. And, and it takes time for them to realize, whoa, wait a minute, how did I get out here? Um, right. And if they're a true, true believer, then that's what's going to happen over time. I've just seen it happen too many times. Um, that's encouraging so, for me to hear that, that you've yeah. seen people oh, yeah, sure. actually recant. Because honestly, part of what I've been frustrated with as a young minister is um, seeing guys refuse to acknowledge when they're wrong. Um, you know, like for me, so, okay, so COVID happens and, uh, you know, us and virtually every other church, except for maybe apology and two other churches in the entire world, you know, but us and every other church, we closed down because we were told that there's the most deadly virus the world has ever seen. And everyone's going to die if you go and worship the Lord. And so we we're, I didn't want to kill everyone. So we, you know, we canceled church and, uh, and, and then, but then I felt like you're, and you're right. It's, you know, it's social media, it's the internet, it's all these different forums. There's just this, this constant demand that like, especially if you're a pastor, it's, it's that, what, what's your response to this? What's your comment on this? What's your thought on this? And I think of like James, I think of James, you know, let everyone be, you know, quick to listen, slow to speak. And then immediately it transfers into uh, talking about the wrath of man that does not produce 
the righteousness of God. And so I think like there's this demand to immediately say something, always say something, and then everybody's angry. And we wonder, and James draws that correlation for us, a, a quickness to speak leading towards um, a, a wrath of, of man, this, this ungodly, unrighteous anger. And so we, you know, we closed down, but then, you know, and I, and I gave the answer. I did it over, you know, a live stream thing, Romans 13, obeying the civil magistrate. And then I did some more exegesis of that. And the, the problem is I only had from the, from the time we found, I had a week. You know, I had right. to make a decision. What, you know, me and my elders, what are we going to do this Sunday? I, and, I wanted to, and I wanted to give them a biblical answer. Now, the reality is I gave them an unbiblical answer. I used the Bible, but I didn't use it biblically. And, and, uh, and I, I mis-exegeted Romans 13. And I took my cue from all these other guys that typically I follow, including John MacArthur. Um, and, and, but then when I recognized it took about two weeks and then I had to come back and say, I'm wrong. And I think part of my frustration as a young minister is, so you said you've witnessed, and I'm very encouraged because you, you've, like you said, you've been around the block uh, a few more times than I have. And, and you've said you've witnessed people come back. What I've witnessed is I've witnessed, by God's grace, repentance in deed. I've witnessed on very rare occasions repentance in word. So I've, mm-hmm. I've witnessed somebody change their position um, in actions um, but but in their words, never actually acknowledge that that five minutes ago they were holding a counter position. <laughs> well, I think I think have you have you noticed that? Yeah. Well, I, I think social media is part of that. You know, um, uh, I could go back before social media, and it was a little bit easier in that context to admit that you had made a mistake or you had gone the wrong direction, and and. Uh, you, you, you didn't have to speak quite as quickly, but, but yeah, you're right. I mean, I'm not saying that it's the majority of people who have, who have turned back. Uh, my concern is for the, the real believers who simply uh, get caught up in the moment and they start down that road. They're being encouraged to go down that road. And eventually the Lord snaps them out of it. Uh, they start seeing things go, wait a minute, how did I, how did I get into this mess and start tracing things back? Are, are that, is that the majority of folks? No, but I, I have to leave that as, a, as, a, as an opportunity. And it, it just seems to me that if you do the instant, hey, if, if you don't agree with me on this subject and it's an important subject and I can make a real good argument that it's, it's gospel relevant, um, I can't assume that everyone has thought that through yet. So, for example, you just mentioned Romans 13. Hey, look, over the past uh, 18 months, all of a sudden, not even 18 months, but 16 months, um, all of a sudden, a lot of us have had to think those issues through uh, that we had never been forced to think through before. And as we're seeing more and more arrests and things like that, um, we're really going to find out how much we really do believe whether our exegesis was correct or not. And, you know, at Apologia, we just simply, the the four of us just went, look, um, we just don't see that this is what they're saying that it is. We, we looked into the, the small amount of information was available at the time. And we're like, um, we have a very strong commitment to, the, the meeting of the church and especially per, we partake of the supper each, each Sunday. And, and it's like, look, most of our people want to be there. Uh, they want to partake. And so we're going to, we're going to be there. And so it wasn't that we had some great prophetic vision that other people didn't have. Um, we, but we already did have, I will put it this, I will say this though. We already did have, uh, we had shirts made up three years ago that, that said uh, defying tyrants since 2010. So, uh, you know, given the abortion work that Apologia does, we knew that the governing authorities had us in their crosshairs for a long time. So we already had reason to go, yeah, I'm not so sure I can trust these folks as far as I can throw. Them. Um, so that was a bit of an advantage uh, to us at, at, at that point. But but still, we didn't uh, we didn't throw people under the bus uh, because they they closed down. Uh, it was when they started using really bad exegesis to say we should have done the same thing 
Exactly. Well, then, then we had to, then we had to engage that and we had to do sermons on these issues. And, um, I'm, uh, I'm really excited. Uh, I mentioned to you before we got started that, uh, Joe Boot has written a book that will be coming out soon, uh, that really nails this stuff with great clarity and force. I'm really looking forward mm. to it. It's going to be exciting. So, cool. um, so yeah, uh, keep an eye out for that. But it's just, yeah, it's, you're, you're right though. It's just, it's so difficult that, you know, when I first got into ministry, I thought, man, I need to know the Bible. I need to know the word of God. And, uh, and as I've progressed in ministry, I recognize it. Um, it can never be less than the Bible, but just take COVID-19, for example. Um, you can know the Bible backwards and forwards, um, but turns out you have to know the Bible and you have to know um, epidemiology and you have to know the Constitution of the United States. You know what I mean? Like there's at least three working and, and we could, you know, name, I mean, it's a multivariant situation, but those three for sure, like you, you have to actually be able to exegete Romans 13 and, and the rest of scripture for that matter. But then you also, you can't make an argument just from the Bible without actually understanding something about the virus. You got to know at least something about that. And then you also need to understand the, the context that God has placed you in and the civil documents of your land and how, you know, and so there's all these moving parts. And, and, and so I just, I, I feel, I think part of the problem, I think, and maybe you'll, you can affirm this or, or, you know, maybe you'll disagree, but I think one of the biggest problems is just pride. I think that um, we're, we're just constantly being set up. We're just, we're, 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 we're being set up to where you're just, you're going to walk into things because the reality is we're being confronted with so much in our culture right now. And so many things that just like, you, you, you need to know the Bible, but then all of a sudden now I need to uh, brush up on Marx, you know, and, and then I have, you know, and who's Hegel, you know, like I, I didn't know who Hegel was until a year ago, you know, and I, like Hegelian dialectics. And I'm like thinking like, I'm just sitting in my closet, like trying to pronounce that correctly. So I don't look like an idiot, you know, when I, and so, you know, so there's all these new things that you, and then, and then it's just like, what's your answer, pastor? What's your answer? What, what What's your thoughts? And so my point is, I think that, that because things are so complex and because there's so many pressures culturally coming down on us right now and then and then natural disasters and maybe a technological disaster like you talked about with the internet, all these different things that pastors don't know about, for one, I think we need to just be able to say, I don't know, I don't have an answer for you, let me get back to you. But then number two, some of them you're going to have to make a decision. Some of it's not just pastors being rash, like, like Sunday is coming, are we going to gather this week or not? And, and so then I think the biggest thing that's going to save pastors and save churches and spare the flock underneath these shepherds is, is just a little bit of humility. If pastors can just walk it back, if we can get more comfortable walking it back. And I think part of these guys who went down, I think some of them are probably having some uh-oh moments where they just, you know, they, they've just doubled down, they doubled down. And now, they, and, and now they're like, it's going to be humiliating to come back from like, I, you know what I mean? I've written so much. I said so much. Yeah. I didn't piece it all together. I thought I was just doing racial reconciliation. How is that not a Christian thing? And yeah. I didn't realize, you know what I mean? And I think some of these guys are probably going to come to that conclusion. And my fear is that, that what, what might keep them from repentance is what keeps all of us from repentance. It's, it's our right. pride. Yeah. You know? Well, there is a, um, and I've seen this, I could tell you stories, we don't have time for it, but I, there, there is a sense that many in pastoral uh, contexts fear admission of error or ignorance because somehow their authority is based upon them being infallible, omnis- infallible and omniscient. And I don't remember that being listed as, as requirements for the eldership. So um, we, we expect of the pastors far more than, uh, we, we expect not far more, but things that scripture does not expect and does not uh, include in the qualifications. And so, but I think you're right. I think there are people who, uh, you know, preached some sermons, thought they were doing the right thing. And they come to the conclusion later on, wow, this is, uh, I was wrong. This is going the wrong direction. Um, and then they're afraid to come to their people and say, wow, I, I was, I was an error about this. I think that is one of the, one of the, the biggest issues. Uh, there's no, no two ways about that. And um, that's a church health issue. Um, that's a having a proper relationship between the pastor and the and pastors. Cause I think one of the issues here was, you know, none of us are sufficient for all the topics that you were mentioning. And so it's always helpful to have 
you know, we have four elders in our church and, and so we can bounce things off of each other and we don't necessarily agree on everything and certain people will push back on, on some areas and, and um, I think that's a, a healthy and a, appropriate thing. I think it's why you need to have a, a plurality of elders. It's extremely helpful. Um, and it also helps you make a stand. Once you've made the decision, then uh, you, you are probably going to stand more firmly uh, when you have uh, a group that has come to that type of decision. But yeah, maybe the, the trials and fires and difficulties of uh, what might be coming our direction in the West, what probably is coming in our direction in the West, uh, will burn a lot of that off. Because uh, honestly, if, if the totalitarians have their way, um, most of us won't have churches in the, in the not all that far distant future as it is. And so uh, that's going to mean we're going to have to be talking to each other a whole lot more closely and uh, maybe all that pride stuff will, will go away. Yeah, I, I agree. I think we're definitely going to be tested and have lots of opportunities for humility. So yeah. um, it's been really helpful as we conclude. Um, basically, what I've heard you say so far is focus on the message. You, you can condemn a message, um, but, but it's an entirely uh, separate thing to condemn a person. And we need to be very, very wary um, about that. And I also hear you saying that um, at the local church level, uh, we want to be extra patient. If you're a church member, being extra patient with your pastor um, who may be working through some of these things and may be on the wrong side of some issues, but has been assuming this pastor has had a, a track record being faithful for many years, then um, being patient and slow about whether or not you leave. If you leave, uh, leave kindly, uh, leave charitably, um, all those kinds of things. But outside of the local church, outside of the pastor, I'm a Christian. And I'm just wondering, who do I, who do I, besides my pastor, my local set of elders, and I know that that should be primary, who do I listen to? Who do I read anymore? Um, I, so rather than doing, you know, we don't want to blacklist people and we don't have time to, uh, to do a book burning, although that, there is a biblical premise for, for burning <laughs> books as, as much as we don't like cancel culture, um, but we don't, we don't have time to list every book. Um, so who, doing it on the positive side of things, um, who are some guys, you mentioned Joe Boot, who are some guys that you would encourage our listeners, yeah, listen to that guy, um, read, read, read those things. I think these are good sources. Well, uh, obviously, um, the guy that people love to hate, but who just keeps hitting home runs right, left, and center uh, on these issues and has just so often left me going, you know, why didn't I think about that? Or for all of us, after you look up about the fourth word in the thesaurus, listening to him because he just, I know he sits around at night digging up the most obscure words he can possibly use in his next blog article. But obviously Doug Wilson Doug has, um, <laughs> yeah. has uh, you know, been really on top of this particular situation. And I, and I think it's because you want to listen to the folks who really recognize the centrality of the Christian worldview situation and the fact that we are, are dealing with a worldview that is fundamentally destructive of human life and cannot last. Now, with technology, it might last a whole lot longer than we want it to, but it, it will destroy itself. And I, I'm, I, I, I enjoy hearing Doug say that because I need to hear someone saying that because I, I, I believe the same thing, but it's, a it's so challenging uh, when it's all around you. Um, so obviously, um, Doug and, uh, the folks, uh, you know, cross politic and people like that. And, um, I know that for example, they're going to be getting together in, uh, Nashville in September. And, uh, my daughter is going to be one of the, uh, people that will be involved in uh, doing some speaking and stuff there. My daughter, Summer, has a, a webcast called Sheologians that a lot of folks, she was, she was way ahead of me on the, on the, uh, she was way ahead of me on the curve. I mean, I went to her to ask what intersectionality meant, okay, <laughs> when I first started hearing it. So mm -hmm. she was that far ahead of me. And uh, so uh, I would highly recommend uh, if you well, have questions about feminism, anything like that, uh, Sheologians is a good place to go. But, you know, and 
that, that realm of folks who are actively proclaiming the Lordship of Christ over the nations, that's what Ezra Institute's about, Joe Boot. Right. Um, and uh, in fact, I just, I just recorded a, a video for uh, the Runner Academy, which is a function of the Ezra Institute on uh, reaching out to our Muslim friends and stuff like that. So there are a lot of us out there doing that, that kind of thing in that, that general, general area. Um, and I don't agree with everybody. I'm, I'm a credo Baptist. Um, I was supposed to be debating Doug uh, last March up in uh, Idaho on um, uh, Pado communion. And we were gonna do a, a little debate on the textual issues. He and I disagree on textual mm -hmm. issues too. Um, but at the same time, um, next trip I'm taking, I'm speaking, I'm, I'm the commencement speaker at New St. Andrews. I'm speaking at the, uh, oh, cool. at the, Grace, at the Grace Agenda uh, conference. I'm speaking at Christchurch. We're, uh, we're doing Man Rampant and uh, a couple of sweater vest dialogues. I'm not sure how we're going to cram all that into the weekend that I'm there, to be honest with you. Right. Um, but so there you have an instance where uh, I don't think there's anyone else that Doug has debated more often than me. And yet mm -hmm. there we are working together. So right. there's that aspect of things too, that I think a lot of Christians struggle with, but, uh, well, you we, gotta like what you were saying earlier, you gotta appreciate his consistency, you know, as with the pedo communion, uh, oh, we yeah, were talking about yeah. being consistent. So, he's, he's, hey, he's you definitely know. wrong on both of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, ki kids <laughs> went through the red sea, kids were circumcised and kids took the Passover, you know? So, I mean, he's at least being consistent with that. So I'm, I'm with you. We're, we're 1689 and we're just still, we're still going to do it. We're just not doing it on this one. We will, cool. we will, we will eventually do that, uh, that, that debate. But, uh, but um, so anyways, um, there, there's, there's folks out there that have been consistent down through the years. And uh, uh, the question really for all of us is uh, once the rubber really starts hitting the road and it's going to be soon, um, will we, you know, my, my prayer is to finish well, that's, that's, mm -hmm. that's the best any of us can, can pray for. Um, I'm getting toward the end of my uh, ministry. You're more toward the beginning. So you've got a, a lot more to be thinking of long-term. Uh, I've only got so much in my long-term left. And so that's why I'm thinking about my grandchildren, to be honest with you. It's once you have your grandchildren, then all of a sudden, all you think about is long-term because you're thinking mm -hmm. about them. It makes right. all the difference in the world. Yeah. yeah, I can imagine. That's part of the reason why we moved here. Both, both sets of my wife's parents and mine are, both sets of grandparents are, are here. And so, um, both about five minutes away. And uh, there you go. I wanted to, I looked at Doug Wilson. I looked at, I'm like, man, say what you will. And I, I'm a huge Doug Wilson fan. So I would not be in the camp that, you know, that criticizes him, but uh, say what you will. People hate him. He's Voldemort, you know, the, the name, which must not be spoken. But um, I've, I've had, I've been to Sabbath dinner at his house. All three of his kids love Jesus. 25 of his grandkids love Jesus. Um, they're all taking the Lord's Supper. It makes me a little uncomfortable, you know, on Sunday. But, you know, but the point is like, I mean, when you look at the man, you look at the town, publishing company, college, Logos, the school, you know, and then all the, all the business owners in his congregation and all. And it's just like, yeah, I want to do that. I think he might be onto something. You know, there's a lot that could be the only The only thing there that just is like dragging fingernails down chalkboard is when it's pronounced Logos. That is just not- possible. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. go ahead, go no, ahead. No, 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 they sorry. do the same thing. They do yeah, the same I, thing. Okay, okay, and, I thought that's, that's how they said it. Guys, look, it's either Logos or Logos. It cannot be Logos, okay? okay. Just stop, <laughs> sorry. but they do it all the time. Sorry. Yeah. So are you gonna debate him on uh, on like TR and critical critical text? Is we that were, what you're we saying? We are supposed to do that, and so, um, now that I have this transportation, uh, we've, I'm not sure if you're aware, we've arranged to, I have a fifth wheel now. Um, and cool. so I'm going to be driving around. In fact, I'll be driving through Texas on the way to, uh, well, I have to drive through Texas a lot. Uh, actually yeah. we're <laughs> it's actually, hard to get around it. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's hard to get it around is, Texas. It is hard to get around yeah. Texas. Um, what we're doing is we're telling churches, look, if, if you'd like to have me, Stop by in an evening, probably a weekday evening, 
uh, because I'm going to be traveling, um, drop us a, a, an email. Uh, can I give the email? Uh, it's it's roadtrip at aomin.org. Let us know okay. where your church is, what the address is. And then we're putting a database together. And as I do trips, then I can go, oh, I can go, I can route myself through here. Here's an RV park, can come in for an evening, do a Q&A session, uh, something on awesome. criticism, whatever. Um, and that's how I'll be doing my traveling in the future is- um, That's great. With a, with a uh, just under 30 foot um, fifth wheel. And uh, I'm learning how to hook up and do all that keep neat fun stuff. and. Of course, backing the thing up is really interesting, but we're getting better at it. So there yeah, you go. I can imagine. Cool. Are you going to do any biking? Are you kidding? That's one of the reasons I'm doing it this way is I can, oh, actually, okay. set, I can actually set up my trainer, my uh, inside uh, bike and trainer inside it. And so it doesn't matter cool. what the weather is. I can always ride inside and, and uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I have to be able to do that or... Once, once I give in on that, uh, you, you, you never get it back. Uh, yeah. That's the problem. Then, then we'll know that your ministry is almost done, huh? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> hopefully, yeah. hopefully you can speak longer than you can, uh, than you can cycle, but we'll, maybe, we'll see. maybe. So, yeah, yeah, no, I was, I was up at, uh, 335 this morning, climbing South mountain on a bike at, uh, by, by 515. And it was 96 degrees when I got done. Uh, so with with humidity, it's not a dry heat now in Phoenix. So yeah, it was That's fun. Horrible. That sounds horrible. <laughs> All right. Well, Dr. White, I really appreciate you coming on the show. I think you've given us a lot of great things to think about. And I appreciate you at the end giving us um some other sources. And I completely agree with you with the whole Idaho crew, the Wilsons. Um I, I would add to that. I, I appreciate the founders guys, Vody Bach and Oh, I sure, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, so, you'd but, already yeah, mentioned uh, them, so yeah, you better. Apologia, yeah, you're right, yeah. But Apologia and Apologia then uh, Joe Boot and I Ezra. I figured that was a given. I, I yeah, that's a given. Badly mentioning that because it's like you know us. A shameless, <laughs> shameless plug. Studios, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You used to be able to. You used to be able to do that, but now that you're there, it's just it's just shameless if you plug them. So <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah. yeah. But thank you so much, Doctor White. I really appreciate your time, and uh, we hope to have you on the show again sometime in the future. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. As a special thank you for your gift of any amount, we'll be happy to send you a free digital book from our store. To access this offer, visit rightresponseministries.com offer. We highly recommend Pastor Joel's book, Am I Truly Saved? If you or someone you know has wrestled with doubts about the love of God, this would be a great resource. As a reminder, to get this offer, go to rightresponseministries.com offer. And thank you for your generous support.